What makes Post Oak High Schoolers who they are? Welcome to Post Oak Popcasts, where you hear stories from an adolescent perspective to understand what makes them pop. My name is Sutton Walsh, and I am serving as the producer of this podcast through my school internship. Speaking of internships, this first podcast will focus on why high schoolers love Montessori. Students will share the aspects of Post Oak that differ from a traditional school and all the opportunities students have to fuel their passions and develop their interests. After learning about what goes on within Post Oak, we will go far outside the walls of the school and hear about the students' international pandemic experiences. This podcast will also include a segment about a student reflecting on his earliest Post Oak memories and how the life lessons he learned in his primary classroom have impacted his high school life. With that said, let's get started. Hi everyone, this is the Post Oak Podcast, episode one. My name's Charlie, I'm a 12th grader. I've been here since third grade, really love it. I'm involved in a few different clubs, and I also have many different internships. Hi, my name is Emily Wilburn. I'm a senior at the Post Oak High School, and I've been here since my freshman year. My favorite thing about the school is truly the community and how engaged and understanding everyone always is. Some things I'm involved in is the Post Oak Photography Club as well as our yearbook. Hi everyone, I'm Eleanor. I'm a senior here at Post Oak and I've been here since my sophomore year. I really love Post Oak for the community, as Emily said, and also our access to the museum districts. I love being able to go out and go to a museum for a class. I think that is always super fun. I'm involved in internships at Post Oak as well as clubs and organizations such as Fall Fling. All right, so the question we'll be answering today Uh, is why high school students love Montessori. And that question kind of gets into my favorite thing about Post Oak, which is that the Montessori ethos and Post Oak High School's interaction with it really allows students to be driven in their interests, really allows students to kind of find their passions and pursue them. And I think that kind of gets into uh, internships and the various internships opportunities we have. Emily, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I would love to. So an internship that I held my sophomore year was at the Houston Museum of Natural Science, and I originally was working in their paleontology department, and, you know, I had a couple meetings with Dr. Lee, and that turned into me discovering that I had more so of an interest in environmental studies specifically. So I worked with her and for me that meant changing departments from paleo into working at the Butterfly Center. And being able to have these open conversations really allowed for me to pursue my interests and try out new things that I never really would have the opportunity to do. Um, Some of my tasks while working there involved like feeding the butterflies, caring for them, also taking care of plants. And I think this really allowed me to discover like what I want to major in in college, as well as understand like the workforce a little bit better. So I am also involved in the internship program at Post Oak. My sophomore year, I had an internship for about nine months at the Young Center. Um, And this year, as I was entering my senior year, I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to major in in college and what I wanted to focus on, and that was sustainability. So I reached out to Jamie Lee, our head of internship at Post Oak. 
We brainstormed and discussed what options there might be. Jamie Lee offered me an interview with a program called Bean Voyage, which is a nonprofit based out of Costa Rica. I had an interview with them, and I've been working with them for the past couple months on writing programming that they will use in Costa Rica for smallholder farmers in order to be able to understand the economics of coffee plantations and how to sustainably grow coffee, which has been super, super interesting. And then I've also been pretty heavily involved uh, with the internship program at Post Oak. Uh, back in 2018, Dr. Lee came to me with an opportunity to work for the Todd Litton for Congress campaign um, and make calls and participate in their phone banks uh, once a week for two hours. And that and that internship really sparked my interest in politics, which has kind of uh, become a main driving force in my life and uh, is really what I want to study in college. So then after that internship, um, I wanted to pursue uh, a different a different uh, field of interest in psychology and using some of the skills that that I developed um, while working with Dr. Lee to get this first internship. I was able to get an internship uh, with the University of Houston's uh, psychology department in their developmental psychopathology lab. And over there, uh, I worked on data entry, uh, data analysis, some pretty standard intern stuff. But then I also also, uh, co-authored a paper on the uh, validity of the inadequate boundaries questionnaire, which, uh, without getting into any like clunky psychology talk, um, is basically just testing a psychology measure. I uh, uh, did a lot of literature reviews for them, and then along uh, along with those two uh, internships, I've worked with the Bel Air Buzz, uh, which was an internship set up by Dr. Lee. I became a, uh, a writer for the School Buzz, which is a little part of the Bel Air Buzz's magazine where students from from different schools around Houston, they submit articles talking about student life at their various schools. So I I wrote and published five articles with them. And then I also got involved with the uh, Lizzie Fletcher for Congress campaign. I helped find prospective donors and also like engaged with voters over there. And that kind of furthered my interest in politics, uh, which leads me to my final internship, uh, which is with the Ann Johnson for State Representative campaign, uh, where I've kind of helped out with policy research there. I've done literature drops, and I've delivered yard signs, and... Um, just various work that the campaign has me do. And I think with internships too, it's not only to discover what you really want to do or like pursue in college, but it also is a great way to understand what you really just don't want to do and things that you just want to try out for a short period of time. And for me, Dr. Lee helped me to get an internship that was unfortunately cut short due to COVID and it only lasted about six weeks. Um, But it was with the Mercury Fund, which was a venture capital firm. I would create like these presentations looking at companies that they had invested in. And, you know, from that experience, I learned I really do not want to go into marketing. I don't want to do anything with economics. Um, But it was still like such a great opportunity to learn and grow from. And I think this here kind of leads us into to also talking about projects and events that we can create within our community. Example of that is with Eleanor, she created something that we call Fall Fling. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about Fall Fling. 
I had attended public school my freshman year of high school, and I really, really loved the opportunities that like a traditional public school presented. So that means football games and prom and homecoming and dances. And I really loved that part of school. That always was really exciting to me. I loved being on committees and organizing that. And when I came to Post Oak, I saw all of these wonderful opportunities But we didn't have, we only had one dance of the year, and that was prom at the end of the year. And I was really, really hoping to have a fall dance. And so I came up to Dr. Lee one day, and I was like, hey, I think we should have a fall dance. And she was totally on board. And so we created the idea for Fall Fling, and we invited multiple different smaller schools to this dance with us. And it was super fun to organize and to create. And I love that it kind of developed out of this small idea and became this, you know, big tradition at Post Oak. And I hope that it continues in the future. Yeah, spontaneity is definitely is definitely something that's really awesome about Post Oak. And that's really important. Um, you can really just reach out to a teacher and just put it together. Something else that's pretty big at the school is the language departments throwing a celebration. So we have a Day of the Dead celebration as well as a Chinese New Year. Um, and I've been so lucky to be able to be a part of that. And I think everybody at the school appreciates it so much. You know, those days we take, we take time out of classes to kind of step away from learning about like math and science for a minute. And we really get to engage with the culture. Anything that is your interest, the school is really invested in and uh, wants to help you pursue. And... There's usually other students who are interested in that same thing as you. And because of that, Post Oak has a lot of really successful clubs. So the biggest club is Photo Club, which is actually headed by Emily. Yeah, so Photo Club was started a year before I joined the school, I believe. And I've been holding the role of vice president and now president ever since. And, you know, something I do with that position is I plan meetings, I bring in speakers, um, just creatives from all over Houston to give presentations and kind of teach us what they know about photography and just kind of art in general. Um, And it really is a great club. You know, we've done so many projects for the school. One really big one that was pretty successful that we did was we created a mosaic that was made up of photos over the course of two years of students, faculty, teachers, everyone within the high school community. And we put it all together into this one big mosaic that created a photo of the outside of the high school. And it was a really beautiful piece. The idea came from Mr. Ziegler um, a couple years ago. The clubs at the school are really just a great way to bring everyone together. Internships, clubs, events, they're far more than just like resume building activities. So returning to the idea of the Post Oak community, I think it's really important to mention how Post Oak students are involved in really every single part of community, including uh, like cleaning up at the end of at the end of the school day. Uh, and then also uh, getting involved with administration and uh, admissions. So we have a program here called Student Ambassadors where students can get involved with the admissions program through open houses and admissions events and giving presentations on everything the school has to offer. The past year, uh, Emily has actually been president of that and has been really involved. So 
Emily, why don't you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so some of the ways that students can get involved with student ambassadors is we'll host open houses where students can present on their experience at the post Oak school, similar to what we're doing now. And it's a great way for incoming families and students and even parents to get to know like what your kid is really getting into and the life they will have at post Oak. Well, during these um, open houses, we'll discuss internships, J&A terms, classes, all kinds of things. And also with student ambassadors, we do the shadow program, which is where prospective students will come in and shadow a student. So if they're coming in as a freshman, they'll be shadowing a freshman. But if they're coming in at, an, at a higher level, they'll be shadowing them. Um, and it's a great way for students to see what the classes are like outside of that open house. Whenever I shadowed, it gave me the ability to sit through classes and see what the math classes were like. Like, what were they learning? Um, were the teachers hands-on with learning? Things like that. Yeah, I've really, uh, I've really fallen in love with uh, giving presentations through the Student Ambassador Program. Uh, I'm re I really like public speaking, and I really love Post Oak. So I kind of combine those two things, and I get to talk about classes at Post Oak and really why I love the school. So super quickly, I want to return to something that Emily mentioned, uh, which are J and A terms. So J and A terms are uh, two or three week kind of intensive courses where you get to pick something to study that normally you wouldn't really get the chance to study during uh, traditional school. And oftentimes, you even get the chance to travel. So for an example, uh, last year, I went to Jamaica, Falmouth Field School. And while I was there, uh, I helped with uh, the reconstruction and uh, preservation of some traditional buildings in Falmouth, Jamaica. Uh, and I thought it was a really, really awesome experience. And I really hope with COVID permitting, I can go again. Going off of that, Charlie, um, I think J&A terms are a really fundamental part of Post Oak and can be a really formative experience for many students. Um, my first uh, J term, or my first A term actually, was mindfulness and meditation, which I had with Emily. And that was a three-week intensive mindfulness and yoga program. During this A-term, we learned about mindfulness and how to practice that in our everyday lives, as well as practicing yoga and journaling every day. And I feel like that was a really formative experience for me. After that A-term, I took a J-term where I went to Costa Rica and studied uh, sustainable coffee and sustainable farming um, in Costa Rica for two weeks. And that eventually led to my internship this year, which has been really awesome to have that connection and continue learning about what it means to be sustainable and what it means to be eco-friendly in everyday life. One of my favorite courses that I took was the protest art course, which was hosted by Dr. Kobos and Mr. Berardino. We looked at historical events um, over the years, some older, some more recent, and we looked at how artists expressed these movements and moments and historical events. And so that included looking at artists such as the Gorilla Girls or even looking at historical events like the fall of the Berlin Wall and the impacts of that and the way that involved art. I took a course with Miss Harrison where we studied uh, critical writing and, and how to write a good review. So for this course, we visited around 10 restaurants and wrote a review for all of them. 
we read a book and uh, wrote a book review. We watched a movie and wrote a movie review. And I thought that it really, really not only improved my writing, uh, but really kind of uh, allowed me to pursue an interest I had in critical writing. I thought it was a really awesome experience. And I think no matter what you do for a JNA term, uh, you're always, always going to really love it. So not only can you sign up for JNA terms, but you can also propose them. So some that have been proposed was a photography J term where they went to Austin. Um, they were there for a week. They got to practice nature photography and kind of just step outside of like our normal area, which is in the museum district. Um, some other courses that have been proposed is personal finance, um, even trips like going to Ireland or London. Um, there's just so many opportunities. And with J&A terms, there's an endless amount of courses you can take and of things that you can learn and engage in. So thanks for listening, everyone. That's why high school students love Montessori. And we hope to see you all again. Moving on to our next segment, ninth grade Wyatt Quillen is going to interview ninth grade Mateo Sanchez and 11th grade Fabricio Guerra on their international pandemic experiences. Take it away, you guys. I'm going to be interviewing two postdoc students who were actually out of the country for most of the ongoing quarantine. So we have Fabricio Guerra. He is 11th grader, junior. He spent most of his time in Brazil, and we have Mateo Sanchez, ninth grader, who spent most of his time in Spain. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So how is your airline experience different from normal conditions? Mateo, you can go first. All right. Uh, so th- really the biggest difference was the fact that you had to wear a mask all the time and the social distancing. Uh, so, you know, obviously stuff like security was all different. But, you know, as far as, you know, once you really got into the plane, you kind of just sat down and, you know, that was it. It wasn't really that bad, to be honest. It's kind of like getting on the metro, but with security and a lot of bags. Uh, for me, uh, when I first went to Brazil back in March, uh, there were like no restrictions at all in air travel yet. Um, so, you know, plane was like practically full. Nobody was wearing masks, really. Airport was also pretty busy. But when I was when I came back in August, um, there was already a travel ban for non-U.S. citizens from Brazil. But luckily, I'm a U.S. citizen, so I got to go. But the airport was completely empty. The plane is supposed to go like 220 people in it. There were only 45. Even though there were only 45, everyone was like totally spaced out from everyone. Like when I got on the flight, you know how they do like a little intro thing on a little TV screen in front of you. They were like, oh, we installed uh, all these cool air conditioning uh, filters and stuff like that to ensure your safety. And I was like, okay, come on, get on my movie. But yeah, that's basically how it went um, going and leaving. Yeah, it's very interesting, especially just the difference between, you know, when you went in March and then just a few months later in August. How did the country you were staying in kind of deal with the virus? In Spain, at first, they had taken it pretty uh, not seriously. And so then they had a ton of cases. It was kind of like Italy, but slightly worse. For about three months, they got their act together and they just completely shut down everything, right? Like uh, you couldn't leave your house, basically, except for like at one specific time of the day, depending on your age group and the street that you lived in, you could go to the grocery store for 30 minutes. Um, and so eventually, you know, the cases got down low enough that they started letting people out. By the time that we got there, uh, I was uh, so there's such a low case, uh, there's such a low amount of cases that, you know, you could kind of just walk around even without a mask. 
Um, and then you could see that since they had gotten so relaxed, it kind of progressed and it went upwards. And so then by the end of it, you know, they had the police monitoring, monitoring so everyone wore a mask and, you know, more social distancing. But at first it was like uh, like a regular. Summit. Oh, like Mateo said, uh, at first Brazil was also just regular. But uh, like very quickly, about through like the end of March, um, places were like already in like full quarantine shutdown. Um the streets just emptied, the highways emptied. Well, at least that was in Sao Paulo. Um, the place where I was staying at was not in Sao Paulo. It was like a four-hour drive away. It was pretty isolated, but it's a tourist destination. So every weekend, uh, when everyone's like, like done working and stuff, they all go down there and they have some fun, which was a little strange because, you know, you should have been quarantining there and here. So you shouldn't be here. But um, it was like a completely different reality there, like, with like the, like on the beach, there would be thousands of people on this small seven kilometer strip of sand and none of them would be wearing a mask. And it, it was a little weird safe uh, for sure. But, um, but uh, the federal government of Brazil was treating it the same way the federal government of the United States was treating it. They just didn't really put too much effort in it, but on a state level and on a city level, it was, it was, it was fairly strong, especially in the dense urban areas. Did you feel safer there? Or did you feel safer here in, US, in the U.S.? Personally, I felt safer there, but I had to come back because of school. So I felt safer there in that I was going to, you know, over there, you know, I would rent windsurf boards or, you know, I would go outside without a mask and, you know, I'd meet people in bigger groups, all that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, in that sense, you know, naturally I felt safer, but also here in the U.S., I can just sit in my house all day. And so then I also feel like I'm at technically probably at less risk here than I was there. Uh, How long did you stay and did you ever consider staying longer than you did? Uh, for me, we got there mid-March, about spring break March, and we stayed all the way until uh, around the 15th of august i think i think we left on the 18th i don't really remember but we stayed almost six months in brazil and we would have we would have stayed until december if it wasn't for this being my junior year and it being important and stuff and i was missing out on a ton of material um i was in an environment with a lot of distractions and it, i just needed to be back for my junior year since it's so important in like curriculum wise for me uh we actually had ex we extended our stay there as well for a couple months um so we ended up staying almost double what our, we were planning to stay we decided to come back mostly because um i was a freshman and my brother is starting middle school and so then we thought it was important to be in houston uh you know to meet the teachers and all that in case in-person school started also like Fabricio said materials another big thing was that it, the time zone change was just a total pain like our classes would start at like three and then they'd end at like 10. So you guys both obviously tried distance learning from your locations so how did you how did it feel like it was it fluid was it really time consuming was it easy was it tiring? For me it was pretty hard because you know like I said my environment was really distracting you know I had, I had always my, my surfboard it was always in like in like my range of view uh, it was always sunny uh especially in like july and august it was always sunny it would never rain distance learning at first was pretty hard i was getting behind on a lot of assignments um simply because of the distractions and also 
by around May, I had already, I, I knew pretty much I was going to stay there for the whole summer. So I knew I wasn't going to get to see my friends all summer, which was a little sad because I, I was, I was planning on like being with them. So all that mix uh, really led to a negative uh, kind of view of uh, distance learning and also time zone wasn't as drastic as Mateo's. It was only two hours ahead, but the problem was that it started at 11 and then at five, I used to wake up at like 1030 every day and then I'd lose the entire day because school would end right at sundown. For me, distance learning, probably the worst part was our Wi-Fi was just so bad. It was so bad. It would just cut out in the middle of classes and then it would take like five minutes to reset the router. Uh, so that was probably the biggest uh, problem. And the other thing was, you know, obviously the time zone thing. Uh, but, you know, obviously the environment there was not conducive to uh, classes, right? You have people walking into the apartment all the time, family members, my grandmother's especially loud. Uh, and so then, you know, I'd always get interrupted. And, you know, there's, you know, there's obviously so many things to do that were not work. My next question is, what was your favorite memory during your visit? Uh, my favorite memories are probably uh, we just got to spend a lot of time on the beach. So, you know, uh, we play a lot of beach soccer, volleyball. Uh, I would also do a lot of windsurfing and sailing as well, uh, which is all a lot of fun. For me, I'd have to say uh, my best memory was one was a Sunday where um, I got to spend uh, the lunch and dinner with uh, my neighbors. And uh, we watched the soccer. It was PSG and Bayern for the end of the Champions League, I think. And it was just a really fun time. The PSG-Bayern game was hilarious. We were cheering PSG so hard. Or was it Barca? Anyways. Yeah, that sounds... You guys sound like you had some, a really great time there, even though, you know, it might have been distracting. Well, it was so awesome that you guys were able to come on the show. You were able to um, share your experiences with me and uh, eventually with the community. And you just kind of showed us how it was back in Europe and South America. So with that, I would like to thank you and peace out. Our next segment is brought to you by the Post Oak Fund. What will your support go toward this year? COVID-related expenses such as PPE, sanitizing, and increased technology, the new museum district addition, including more teaching space, a volleyball court, and a covered basketball court, a flood mitigation project at the Bissonnette campus, increased financial aid, and so much more. The Post Oak Annual Fund will help us get through this year in a big way. Please show your support when your class captain calls you November 1st through the 20th. It's a three-week campaign benefiting all Post Oak students. Each podcast, we are pleased to bring you a new entry from our library of recorded conversations between Post Oak families and friends. Today's segment brings you a conversation between former primary teacher, Marani Smith, and her former student, Andreas Cantu, a current Post Oak 11th grader, recalling his time in her classroom of three to six-year-olds. Okay, Andreas, so I, I faintly remember the first few days of your time in primary. So what do you remember? Um, I, I remember like the uh, material we used quite a bit. Like I remember the layout of our classroom. Like I can remember walking in and there was like the kitchen area, I guess you could say in the left corner. Yep. In the right corner, there was the um, like the windows and you could see the butterfly garden. And yep. there was also the, um, 
the like the blue metal insects in that uh, corner. Um, okay. All right. Yes. Of course, I do uh, remember a couple of exchanges. One that brings back like a stronger memory is I really was trying to figure out a way to introduce you to the geometric cabinet and all those shapes and uh, beyond triangle, circle, and square. And there was a little bit of reluctance on wanting to know more of the shapes. So I said to you, um, is your mom from Greece? And you said, yes. Does she speak Greek? Yes, I think. And then I said, well, the names of the shapes are Greek names. How about that? And you got your eyes just sparkled and you were ready for a lesson. Something that I'm curious about, um, because you are a Montessori student, um, do you see yourself differently as a Montessori student? So in terms of who I am and like what I love to do, um, I can attribute pretty much every single bit of it to like where I've grown up in ter- like in terms of the school I've been to this my entire life. Um, I, I remember in Lower L and in primary, if I didn't understand something, it just took more time and then I got it. You know, like you said, it comes organically. Now, if I don't understand something, it's probably because I haven't studied for it, but Back then, if I didn't understand something, I, there was no reason for me to be upset because it was going to come to me. I just needed to give it more time. And I definitely think that this school has like, allowed that to happen. I feel like if I was in a traditional school and I didn't get something, it would have just honestly set me back. And, and you're one of the younger students coming into every level, right? Because oh, yeah. Of this yeah that, that became a pivotal uh, uh, conversation uh, when you're in primary we look at those summer birthdays and we will look at skill sets because we of course uh, want uh, the children to be successful and again the other question we ask ourselves is um, is the student in the absorbent mind or in the reasoning mind uh, where would they be better served in developing certain skills and for you for example was a reading and um, you kind of really gave it your all. I would say that even though we might say there are so many adults who helped along the way, none of that would have happened unless you moved on and showed that. So, yes. That's what I've learned too, that the teachers are there to teach, obviously, but it's really up to the student to decide if they want to move forward. Um, I always tell parents, I don't teach children reading. Just do mm-hmm. not. They discover their reading. They, they are empowered to learn to read. We create the environment. The moment we have stress and anxiety, they pull back because it's their ownership. So throughout the years, I, I, I don't teach children to read. I give them the skill set and move back and let them discover it. That's a different concept for parents to understand too. Yeah. Thanks to your parents, they allowed it to happen to you. We had a very short time frame and you moved on and you're reading fine now, right, Andrea? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs>
Thank you so much for listening to our first episode of Popcast. Special thanks to all the students who shared their stories and participated in the production of this inaugural episode. Keep your eyes and ears out for the next episode as adolescents share their thoughts on music. See you next time.